sorry I don't love you A fresh I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back and returning this week is Derek Hayes. Derek, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Deanna? Pretty good. Today we are going to be talking about The Leftovers, which ran for three seasons. And Derek, I'm glad you brought this up when we were discussing what we should have you back on for next because I totally forgot that we had mentioned this before and just had never actually planned it. And this is definitely one of those TV shows where there are a lot of different opinions on it and you know people tend to rank seasons of shows which isn't something I've really done the only time I've really sort of done a ranking in a similar way was ranking the Marvel shows on Netflix which to me that's a little different because you're ranking shows all across the board not just the seasons of a specific one but why don't we go ahead and just jump right in with season 1 when you first watched the pilot episode, what were your initial thoughts? Were you thinking, you know, this was going to be something drastically different from anything else you had seen on TV? I don't know if it was going to be drastically different, but uh, it it was incredibly just sad and bleak and just a bummer of a show. But, you know, the cinematography and, you know, the hints of the character development we started to see and all that kind of sucked me in kind of right from the get-go so i don't i don't know if i thought it was going to be like something very different but it it did kind of sink its hooks in me right at the beginning yeah and even in the pilot episode you have you know some brutal scenes with dogs we will not get into any graphic detail with those but it's just (laughs) a show that really sort of makes sure to get your attention right away and one of the main things that the show is based around is the sudden departure, which, you know, as someone like myself who isn't a religious person, at first I was like, okay, where are they going to go with this? And, you know, because it's sort of a blend of like the religion with this science fiction thing that's sort of going on where people just up and disappear. And you don't know if they are still around or what happened to them or not. So, it had that mix of those two things, but it never really felt like it was strictly either a religious show or a science fiction show. How, what do you think about the blend that they ma- they made with the idea behind the sudden departure and everything like that? I thought they blended it really well. I mean, you have your 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 skeptical characters like Nora, and then your devoutly religious character like the Reverend Jameson, Matt Jameson, right. and. Uh, you know, I, I I think you really get to go into both of their points of view, and uh, I, I think they balance it well. Yeah, and I think that's sort of what really drew me in, too, because just on reading what the show was about, it wasn't necessarily something I would have picked up if people weren't talking about it so much, and, you know, people on the chorus forums and everything like that weren't so adamant about watching it, so... I'm really glad that I did, but I do want to talk a little bit about the casting, too. And, you know, in season one, we don't see all of the characters yet who we are going to see on the three-season journey they take, basically. But you have Justin Thoreau and Carrie Coon as two of 
the main characters that we see throughout this. And then you have Liv Tyler, who's in all but, I want to say, like five or six episodes. And you mentioned Reverend Jameson, who is played by Christopher Eccleston. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. And then you have Amy Brenneman as Lori Garvey. And, you know, I wasn't super familiar with a lot of the people in this show. I hadn't really seen anything that they had done. I happen to have been watching Fargo at the same time that Mm -hmm. I really started getting into this, though. So it's like I had Carrie Coon in two shows that I was watching at the same time because I came to The Leftovers so late. So that was an interesting thing to see her in these two different roles at the same time for me. But what do you think about the cast that they put together for this and how well they did, you know, picking the right types of actors and actresses to play these specific roles? Well, going back to what you said with Carrie Coon, like I I hadn't heard of her before The Leftovers and, you know, reading interviews during research, like, like she made her break into, you know, film and television. She was a stage actress, but she made her break into film intelligent with a David Venture movie, a Damon Lindelof show and a Noah Hawley show. So, I mean, she, she had a pretty good trifecta there of, of creators to work with. And, you know, I, di- I didn't know much about her the first season, but, yeah. you know, watch, watching her grow through the show, like, She's one of my favorite actors right now. But uh, same thing with Justin Thoreau. Like I'd I'd seen him in a in a Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch movie. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, you know, did Doctor Who, which I have not watched. I but, have uh, not either. Yeah, I mean, all these actors, I I had not really seen them in anything to speak of. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, spending the whole show with them, I mean. I, I couldn't imagine anybody else playing those parts. Yeah, and it's one of those things where they didn't have to necessarily get these huge names to make the show work. And, you know, with it being a show that runs 60 minutes and the fact that it only ran for three seasons, I feel like that was sort of the perfect length for this show. But I do want to get back into season one a little more because, you know, we have a very specific group of characters in a very specific city in New York, and they don't stay in that city for the entirety of the show. So it feels like, in a way, for season one, the town is a character as well, and then you have the guilty remnant sort of buying up these houses in the neighborhood and really making an impact on how these people live their day-to-day lives and you know they're already having to deal with this grief of not knowing what happened to their friends and loved ones in the town and everything like that so what do you think of the town itself sort of acting as a character yeah I, I like the idea of that I mean like you said the scope of season one is just how does this small town and the people in it you know cope with this this you know, world changing event where 2% of the population disappears. And, uh, yeah, like with the, with the guilty remnant buying up houses and, and, you know, churches and kind of taking over for their, uh, their cult purposes, you know, and watching the, the town change and kind of, you know, evolve into chaos as the, as season one goes on. I mean, yeah, I can, I can mess with that idea. 
Yeah, and I do want to note that the first season of the show was actually based on a book of the same name by Tom Parada, who did work on the show with Damon Lindelof. So there's also that aspect to it where the first season is based on the book from start to finish, basically, and then they came up with original material for the second and third seasons, which I think that's an interesting way to approach a TV show because we see a lot of adaptations from books, especially, you know, Stephen King books and everything. Like I was just reading an article before we hopped on the call here about another Stephen King TV series that's going to pop up based on one of his short stories. So, you know, there's a ton of books that would work really well in television, but the fact that they, you know, took the book, did season one, and then went and made additional material to keep the show going because people enjoyed it. I think that's something that is a really smart move on their part, because when you have the writer of the novel involved in the process for the show, I think you can do a lot of things that maybe you can't necessarily do in a single book. No, I I totally agree with that. So is there anything specific from season one that you want to bring up before we sort of continue and move on to the new town? Just how interesting it is watching how all these people, you know, processed and dealt with their grief. Right. I mean, I know you said that you didn't want to get like too explicit into what happened, but like you said, I mean, people, you know, paying either paying thousands of dollars for a hug or or dressing all in white and chain smoking i mean it, it was just an interesting way to see how these people process this grief and uncertainty and all that and uh yeah season one i mean you kind of get into uh to kevin's kind of descent into madness i guess right which i feel is important to know going into the second season Yeah, and we can definitely get into details or spoilers. I just meant specifically, you know, the the graphic scenes with the animals and everything that was happening. I don't know if anyone necessarily wants to hear about that on a podcast since they already had to watch it on the show. You know, I think once was plenty enough, (laughs) at least for me as, you know, someone who's a dog person. And (laughs) I think what's important to note in season one, too, is that Kevin Garvey who is the character played by Justin Thoreau, he's the police chief, which he's following in the footsteps of his dad, who is supposedly crazy now. And I think that is something that sort of lends a hand into his sort of downfall, too, because not only is he trying to keep an entire town together because he's the police chief, he also has this additional weight of, you know, He's following in his dad's footsteps, and I think that concerns a lot of people based on, you know, where his dad ends up. Right. I mean, the mayor of the city is worried about it. You know, his dad kind of taunts him with it and, and, you know, has Kevin all in his head about it. But yeah, on, on top of him seeing things and sleepwalking, he's also got the added bonus, I guess you could say, of his wife joining the cult and his daughter acting out and his his whole life's just falling apart. Yeah, and from there, you know, he meets Nora and, you know, they have this sort of weird relationship at first because they meet in a very awkward way and, you know, it's almost like 
everyone's just sort of trying to figure out how to move on. And it's not necessarily something that, like we said, everyone grieves in a different way. So they're also all going to start to move on in a different way. And I believe season one takes place a decent amount of time after, you know, the sudden departure happens. Like they do show us the day that it happens. But then as soon as they jump into the story and everything, it sort of jumps a bit. And we see that with other seasons, too. Like, you know, season three jumps three years, I believe. So, you know, you're getting these little time jumps here and there. But I think this is a good place to go on to season two because they move out not only just out of town but they move out of state they move pretty much like halfway across the united the united states to texas from new york and while i have never been to texas or upstate new york i feel like those are two very very different places just you know not just geographically or weather wise but just mentality wise too probably and they move to a city called miracle where supposedly no one left during the departure. So what did you think of them giving this single little town an out, basically, for the sudden departure? Because, you know, they all got to kind of keep on living their lives, but then they also had all of these tourists coming in as soon as they found out. And, you know, the town was actually renamed Miracle because of the fact that no one was taken from the town. I mean, it's it's an interesting kink in the show for sure, uh, you know, because as we come to find out, I mean, it's this little seemingly perfect little town with, you know, the choirs and and, you know, the the natural resources there, the water that they're selling and all that. But it's like the the families there just as messed up as everybody else, you know, with their weird little ticks, uh, slaughtering goats in restaurants and what have you there. Yeah, so I don't really know if it, it's an out. I mean it just it just kind of expands the scope to this, you know, seemingly normal to them to kevin and nora place you know a place Mm -hmm. to move on but uh you know as we come to find out it's it's not everything is a-okay over there either yeah and you know with all of the people coming in and them having to sort of regulate the number of people who can visit on a daily basis and the residents having to have these wristbands and everything and the absurd amount of money that nora pays for the house too (laughs) it's one of those things where you could really tell they just wanted to sort of get away from it all. But in a way, they, I don't want to say made things worse on themselves, but because of the town that they specifically picked to go to, I feel like they should have been able to sort of predict that there would be these kinks in their plan, basically. And before we dive too deep, I do want to talk about some of the new cast members that we see in this season because you have the neighbors, the Murphys. So you have Regina King and Kevin Carroll playing the husband and wife who live there and they live there with a son and a daughter. So you have this entire new family too, that you bring into the scope of things and you see how, you know, they're a little weary of, 
Kevin and Nora when they first come because, you know, well, one, at the end of season one, there was just a baby left at their doorstep. So they also have sort of this new addition to the family. And then these neighbors have a new addition to the neighborhood and they don't really know how to feel about it because, you know, they don't necessarily seem like they want people coming in who have experienced the sudden departure. No, right. I mean, they're they're super skeptical of the Garveys. I mean, from the get go, I mean, they uh, they invite them over for dinner, you know, to kind of to case them a little bit, see what they're all about. And, right. You know, from there, they they see that. You know, something's a little off with Kevin and, you know, the the trust issues just kind of get worse from there. Yeah, absolutely. And you get a good look at their life and what they go through because, you know, with Kevin and Nora, we sort of already know what they're about and how they go about doing things. So to see this new family, it's sort of refreshing that you have new people to focus on too in a totally different situation and you know later on the guilty remnant do show up and it's sort of like they're following kevin and nora and just really trying to make them miserable right and i mean not just kevin and nora though i mean it's they're trying to make everybody miserable you know right and it's i think it was kind of happy accident that that Kevin and Nora just happened to be in Miracle when uh when Meg shows up with her with her little bombshell plan and uh yeah cuz cuz Meg had gone there before looking to uh to you know going to somebody that was like Holy Wayne the I'm sorry I'm forgetting his name the one that did the handprints Oh yeah 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 I think his name is Wayne yeah and, you know, going there, you know, looking to be healed and just leaving angrier. So she wanted to, you know, go to Miracle and you know, make them remember, you know, that, that uh, you know, nobody was spared. Every You know, things are bad everywhere, including there. Yeah. And I think they did have some sort of inkling that Kevin and Nora were there because Matt actually went there first and told them about the house and everything like that. And he was in a bad situation because he was sort of the new guy in town who wanted to not necessarily have an entire church to himself, but he still wanted to be able to preach and everything like that. And you have Patty Levin, who is, you know, the one that keeps haunting Kevin literally because she is dead and she just keeps coming back and it's one of those things where he just, no matter where he goes, he's not going to be able to escape what happened, you know, what he did and everything like that. And I think having the guilty remnant show up in Miracle as well just goes to show that simply moving isn't necessarily going to get rid of the problem that you have. Right. Uh, I mean, the a lot of the problems Kevin and all that had, you know, Kevin and Nora had would have been solved with maybe a little more communication, which you, right. you know, find as the season goes on, they don't communicate. But uh, yeah, running away definitely didn't solve their problems. Yeah. And in season two, 
you still have a lot of sort of crazy things going on because you have you know this town is being overrun with tourists and they bring buses in and while it seems like they have everything organized it really feels like there's still a lot of chaos because you have an encampment just outside the gates of you know people in trailers and tents and people just really wanting to get into this place and it's hard to tell if it's something they just want to live there because it'll feel safer to them or if it's because they think, you know, another departure is coming. I'm sure there was a lot of both go- going around. And I think what they did well with the story in season two was they still kept that same essence of season one. And they didn't just, you know, move it from one place to another. They sort of twisted it in a way so that it fit for this place and what this city was but is there anything else specific you want to bring up about season two before we move on to season three? Oh gosh because uh, I, I know i know a lot happens in this show but i feel like you know we could probably sit here and podcast for hours if we broke it down you know episode by episode so i do just want to sort of give a general discussion on the show i guess but touching on a few specific things here and there. I, I think it is important to to mention, you know, like you were saying with Patty still haunting Kevin, whether yeah. it's a specter of her a hallucination or, or whatever, Kevin eventually has to, to deal with that. And to do that, they they have to go into some pretty surreal and absurd stuff. I mean, even for this show... And uh, I, I think it's important to note, you know, how how he handled that, like where he went. Was that the afterlife or or something else or what? Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways you can sort of think about this show, too. And I think that's another thing that makes it great. And I'm sure as you've seen in the Chorus FM forums and everything, you know, a lot of people have very different ideas on, you know, how the show could have gone or what they think a specific moment means. And I feel like that's when you see TV at its greatest sort sort of, because you get so many varying opinions or ideas based on just this one thing that happens, you know, like the sudden departure itself. There are so many different theories you can have for where those people went or, you know, what happened to them and what made them disappear. And it's very interesting to sort of get all of those perspectives from people, too. And it, I think it makes the conversation a lot more fun as well. Oh, totally agree. I mean, most of the fun with this show is just talking about it, you know, online or with friends or whatever after the show and discussing all the theories and and whatnot. Yeah, and for me, because I was so late to the show, you know, season three was airing when I was just starting it. So I didn't necessarily get to participate in that same kind of discussion, but it was fun going through, you know, the thread and everything later and seeing what people thought. But why don't we go ahead and move on to season three? Because I feel like the time jump here is pretty interesting. We have three years that pass. So they're coming up on, I believe they say, the seventh year anniversary of the departure. And it's one of these things where, you know, Kevin becomes a cop again. And I think in season two, with him not being a cop, that's sort of a lot of what had 
to do with, you know, sort of the spiral his character had. And, you know, it seems like even though he was following in his dad's footsteps in New York, he basically was a cop. And, you know, you can't really take the cop out of him because clearly when he stops being a cop, things don't quite go as planned for him. And putting him back in that position for season three really felt like a good move. And, you know, to everybody else, I mean, it it seemed like he might have been more in his comfort zone, you know, going back and into the police work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it gave him something to do. It gave him purpose. You know, he, he had a job in this town. You know, him and Nora had seemingly moved past, you know, their little issue with him going crazy and lying about it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the the cop gig ended up being a seemingly good thing for him. But, you know, as we come to find out, he's still acting a little crazy behind the scenes. Yeah, because we don't see what happened in those three years, we sort of just have to assume, you know, maybe things got worse before they got better, but it seems like they did, in fact, get better, and Kevin sort of has his life on track and everything, but then you have his dad, who is Kevin Sr., just roaming around the Australian outback, (laughs) you know, know, (laughs) having all this sort of, I don't want to necessarily say crazy talk, but he has a lot of theories about what's going to happen and there's going to be like an apocalyptic end to the world and everything like that. And there's a lot that happens this season that makes you sit there and think like, is something actually going to happen? Yeah. And sort of where did this all come from? Because, you know, with Kevin Garvey senior through his story arc, you know, he's not in every episode he's in you know he's not even in half of the episodes but he has such an impact on a lot of the story because like we said already his son is following in his footsteps and not only is he you know was he also police chief it's like he literally has his name he's a junior so there's so much of his dad in him that even with his dad not physically present in the episodes he's still kind of lingering there all the time and in this season he just really you know breaks out of his shell if he even had a shell to begin with and we sort of see a lot of his thought process behind everything and I think that makes season three pretty entertaining because you know again we end up in a new place too because Kevin ends up traveling to go find his dad and sort of really figure out what exactly is going on absolutely i mean scott glenn uh kevin senior's presence is is felt throughout the whole season and i mean he's he's such an entertaining and funny and i mean just a fun addition to the show just watching his little misadventures out in the outback and you know stealing aborigine dances and you know, it's just like I said, it was just a it was fun to finally get a focus on on Scott Glenn because he does such good work when he's on camera. Yeah. And he's actually one of the few actors I was familiar with from watching Daredevil. And then he showed up in Defenders as well. But I had, you know, that had come out after I had watched the show. But he was one of those characters in this where he's maybe not necessarily the X factor, but he's always going to throw something in the mix that is going to make you stop and 
wonder where exactly the show is going to go. And, you know, even in Daredevil, he is not necessarily the same kind of character, but he's similar because you can never really predict what he's going to do next. And I think that is something that makes his character a lot more entertaining because he sort of keeps you on the edge of your seat when you're watching the show because you're like, okay, is he going to, you know, do something totally absurd here? Or is he going to do something that in some strange way makes a lot of sense? He he definitely knows something's going on, going to happen, at least in his head, you know, but, you know, the way he gets about going there, he just, he finds the most entertaining ways to you know, to get what he wants or to get his point across or, or, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you've got the, uh, rest of the clan or most of the clan also going over there and, you know, you get to see all these other cast members interact with Scott Glenn for the first time or, or Kevin senior. And, and that also makes it a little more fun getting, getting to see, these other people interact with them for the first time. Yeah, and one of the characters we actually haven't mentioned is Kevin's daughter. And, you know, she doesn't really get to see much of her grandfather because, you know, when we're first introduced to Jill in New York, he's already, you know, he's been put into a care facility basically is what it seems like you know it doesn't seem like an asylum or anything like that it's just like sort of this living center for seniors. kind of like a nursing home basically yeah and you know so that also gives off the idea that you know either they put him there because he they don't think he's totally crazy or but, he had some cloud or you know he yeah, because he was the police chief, maybe they just sort of put him in a nursing home or something like that to sort of appease him a little more just so he wouldn't, you know, totally go off on them. But, you know, Jill is a character that has an interesting story arc throughout this. And I think, you know, we see a lot of her grief in season one and then season two, she's adapting to the new place and, you know, the new Her mom people coming back into the picture and yeah and even just her story arc with her brother too is something that's interesting because you know he's off with Wayne and then he's part of the guilty remnant and then he's sort of all over the place and then he's with the mom and you know it's very interesting how much they paid attention to the characters who weren't in it full time too because they put a lot of thought and care into what happened to these characters past the novel past season one and I think you know the way everything sort of comes together in season three you know you have Nora traveling a lot for a job and Kevin decides to go to Australia and you still have this tension between the two of them in season three and then you know things get pretty crazy in the end when you fast forward quite a bit of time and you know Kevin and Nora Nora are both older and he's trying to find her and it's just you know one of those seasons where you have a time jump between the two seasons and then you have one within the season and they're sort of just throwing curveballs all over the place in season three I want to say but what do you think of 
these time jumps that they implemented for season three, do you think they help you to better understand what they were trying to get at with the story without feeling like, you know, we need 11 seasons of the show to get to this point? I I thought the time jump at the beginning, the three years was smart, you know, it, it, you know, exposition and all that you, you kind of see the character development and how they've gone on over the three years and you get all these new wrinkles but the uh the one at the end i thought was was kind of risky i mean they kind of they they really went into the deep end of the pool on that one yeah and it doesn't last too long it's not like you know it lasts a good majority of the season but it's just long enough to where you're like okay is there going to be a point to this and you know is this something that is going to pay off for them and I think for me you know I would have been fine if they cut the show off before the time jump but I also think there was something interesting about that in-season time jump that sort of just gave you another side to Kevin and Nora. So, so you're saying you would have been fine like if they would have just ended it like after Kevin came back from the afterlife and nothing happened or whatever, you know, you're saying you would have been fine just leaving it there. I think that would have been an interesting way to end the show. But I think if they had ended it in that time period, maybe given us another episode of, you know, what happens after he gets back. But the fact that they do the time jump, you know, like you said, it's something that is a little risky for them. And you have Kevin, you know, in this alternate world, basically, or the afterlife, whatever you want to call it. And he's sort of someone else entirely in this too. And, you know, you see Meg, you see Patty, and you see all sorts of, you know, very strange things going on, which is not a surprise for this show. But then you have, you know, you don't really see too much from Nora's point of view during that time because it's so focused on Kevin. And I think, you know, that time jump, it only happens, what, like in the final episode, I want to say? Right. Yeah, it's it's the final episode. Like it kind of opens and you really don't know what's going on or when they are or if it's, you know, it's a little bit surreal where you're not sure if what you're even seeing is is happening you know in real time to them or if it's all a dream you know yeah so they actually don't spend as much time as i thought they did on that time jump there so you know the show ends with the book of nora which is that episode where kevin's going to find her you know she's out there living by herself riding her bike everywhere pretty much and it's one of those things where because the season was only eight episodes as opposed to the first two seasons being 10 episodes each, I believe, it feels like they definitely could have had another two episodes worth of material, I think. And it was a risky way to end the show because I think if they had those two episodes, maybe they would have ended things a little differently. I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, there's really no way to tell, I guess, but uh, uh, I, I, I'm personally a fan of how they chose to end the show. I mean, uh, w- like when you get down to brass tacks with it, I mean, 
Kevin and Nora are are just these two impossibly messed up people that just you know keep finding ways to make it work and be together and and for her to accept him back at the end i just, i thought it was beautiful what do you think about the idea of you know having kevin sort of fake forget that all of this stuff had happened between the two of them that was kind of one of those things where I just didn't really understand what was going on or what the angle was right there when, when those scenes were playing out when I was watching it. Uh, but I mean, come to find out later in the episode, I mean, he's just like, he's desperate, you know, trying to get her attention basically. And, you know, obviously it worked cause she played along with it or at least was curious enough to see what the hell was going on this time, you know? Yeah, and for me, that was one of those things that sort of made me feel a little iffy on that ending in particular, because, you know, it's like, what's the point of having him just pretend that he has no clue about anything at all? Like, that didn't really seem like the best way to try and win her back for, you know, like, the happy ending, so to speak. And I think they do a good job with where they have the supporting characters basically end up, you know, you see Lori, you see Jill and Tom and, you know, his whole family and everything later too. And it's one of those things where it ends well or as well as it possibly could for everyone. But the way they get there is a little interesting with some of those choices that they made. Right. Like uh, with with Jill's mom and, and her send off only to bring her back for the finale and all that. That was kind of one of my one of my only pet peeves with the third season, I guess, was was I just thought that was a kind of weird how they went about that and then to have her back in the finale. Yeah, well is there anything we've missed on any of the seasons that you want to hit on real quick? Oh gosh. I mean I could <laughs> I could talk about this show for for a very long time. I mean, there's like you said, just so many things we could we could bring up and analyze and discuss. And I just, yeah, I, I don't think we've got enough time for that tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we go ahead and give some quick overall thoughts? Then, you know, like I said before, I was a little wary of trying the show out j- just based on the description because I was like, uh, I don't know if this really sounds like my kind of TV show, but when you really start to get into it, it's one of those shows that makes you think a lot. And I know those kind of shows aren't going to be for everyone. So you have to sort of be willing to watch TV shows that are going to make you think, you know, this isn't your typical NCIS law and order procedural or superhero show where you can sort of sit back and relax while you watch those shows. This is a show where you sort of have to be always paying attention to it and you can definitely miss something important if you don't, you know, just really pay close attention. But I do think that in the end, I did really enjoy the show a lot more than I was anticipating. This show is is up there among my favoriteest television shows ever. I mean, when when the show started, I was going through some personal stuff. My my marriage was failing, and when it ended, my marriage had failed, and I had moved on. And 
I just kind of, like I said, tackling the things of uh, grief and and how people deal with that. The show just really connected with me. So it, it it's up there among my favorites. Yeah, and I've never really sat down to think about what some of my favorite shows are, but I think, you know, HBO definitely has something good going with a lot of the shows that they do. And I think because they do have that little extra paywall there, you know, they're able Mm -hmm. to sort of experiment a lot more with the kinds of shows they're doing. And personally, I would love to have shows, you know, that last only two, three, four seasons, and they give you this really packed, intense story in that amount of time because, you know, I was thinking about recently just how much TV I watch in general, which is way too much, but, you know. Oh, yeah, I don't even want to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it was one of those things I was just like, you know, I was going, I have a TV tracking app. That's how much TV I watch because otherwise I wouldn't really know when things come back or anything like that but that aside I was just scrolling through the app and I was like do I really need to be watching some of these shows you know I have things like Big Bang Theory on my list and that show is in its 11th season I'm like and I was thinking to myself did this show really need 11 seasons and I think it's actually renewed through like 12 or 13 already and I'm like maybe I just might have to give this one up yeah, I, I can save you some time on that one. Just uh, move on to the next show you're wanting to see. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, with Netflix, I can sort of wait and see if I want to dive into specific shows. Like earlier today, I just finished watching Riverdale because that's a CW show. So I figured, you know, it'll be on Netflix if I change my mind and want to watch that. And with the way streaming is, I feel like you don't necessarily need to make a decision right away on TV shows. And like I said, I came so late to The Leftovers. I got to it when, you know, you guys were talking about season three and the forums and everything like that. So I haven't had a huge problem with staying away from stuff being spoiled for me because, you know, Riverdale was a big show that a lot of people talked about. And I feel like The Leftovers was sort of the same way. But you know, if I see a headline about those shows, I'm not going to click on it if I know there's a chance I might want to watch the show in the future. So luckily for me, I haven't had, you know, too many shows spoiled for me. And sometimes if it's minor stuff, I don't really care. But what do you think of of the overall, you know, surrounding discussion and hype that came with The Leftovers when you were watching it week to week since I didn't have that sort of experience? Well, it's funny you mentioned like going back and reading through through the chorus forums, I'm assuming, is what mm-hmm. you meant. And, uh, I mean, that must have just been post after post of just holy shit that you were <laughs> reading. I mean, I didn't, go, I didn't go through everything, but I did sort of, you know, like catch up on the general idea of what people thought of the show. Well, one of the cool things, uh, when, when you see people discuss the leftovers, you're not always seeing them discuss what they just saw on, on the screen they're discussing how it made them feel right which which i think is pretty cool is is it's a lot of conversation centered around that and uh i just also want to take a second to shout out uh max richter for the score because that that score on that show it it's it's so beautiful and it's just they don't use it much but they know the 
they knew the perfect time to implement it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, just, you know, those big swelling scenes and stuff like that. So that, that was another thing that kind of got talked about a lot is the score. Uh, but yeah, discussion online was, was one of my favoriteest parts of the show. I mean, just trying to figure it out with everybody. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Derek, for coming on. This was definitely a fun conversation to have. And, you know, I was a little fuzzy on the details because I've watched quite a few shows since I did finish this up. But it's one of those shows, like I said, that definitely makes you think. And if HBO and even other stations or streaming services do more shows, not necessarily exactly like this, but in this sort of similar tone and idea behind the show, I think, you know, a lot of people will really connect with shows like this. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Well, that wraps up our conversation on The Leftovers today. Derek, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And I will be sure to have you on again much sooner than we did for, you know, between Old Man Logan and this one. Awesome. I'm looking forward to the next time. Great. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.